So when we consider the new world order and qualifying the elect, we have to deal with the subject of redemption. And when we, when we look at redemption, I've taught you this before, it was not just about your eternal salvation, although your eternal salvation is a part of that package and that process, but redemption was to restore all of creation legally to its Christ-centered operation and to reposition all spiritual seats of power and authority to their God-ordained function. Somebody say redemption. Okay, so it was about God restoring the landscape of creation back to his original blueprint and purpose for it. The scripture says this in Colossians, the first chapter, verse 16. It says, for by him, somebody say by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth. So that is a literal emphatic statement. By him, by the Lord Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Somebody say all things. It says visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Are y'all in the book with me? All right. All things. Somebody say all things were created through him and for him. So when you consider the entire infrastructure of creation, the supernatural world, both good and bad, the angelic world and the demonic world, when you consider thrones and dominions and seats of authority and positions, when you uh, consider kingdoms and systems and spheres, according to this text in Colossians, every single thing was created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Say by him, by say for him. So that means that every single principality and power of darkness that rules anywhere in creation was created for him and created by him. Are y'all understanding that? Right? Okay. And it says, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. He is what? Before and in him all things consist. So the principality that's warring against your family only exists because it consists inside of Jesus Christ. Okay? Right? I'm about to show you your supremacy. Somebody say, go with him. And it says, and he is the head of the body, meaning Jesus Christ, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, say all things, that he may have preeminence. Say he has preeminence. Okay? Let's go uh, a little bit further. Here's the dilemma. Satan had become the god of the age when Adam was actually the one God intended to have jurisdiction and rule. All right? Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Somebody say amen again. All right? So Adam, say Adam, was the magistrate over creation. Everything that was named was named by Adam. Adam walked in a dimension of God, and I'm teaching a little bit today. Somebody say, teach us, teacher. All right, because we want the word. We don't want to just run around and be hyped up because we need to be prepared and qualified to be the elect. Somebody say, amen. All right. So Adam was given jurisdiction over all of the works of God's hands, over God's uh, creation. He walked with God in a dimension that I told you before that he could hear God moving in the cool of the day, walking in the cool of the day, which meant that he was a perfect light being. Somebody say, perfect light being. All right. So in his assignment, God, in essence, made Adam the God of the age. I'll show you in Psalms where the Bible says that he called us gods and it's written in the law that he called us gods. So God did not have a problem with Adam having a godlike status 
because he was created in the God class. He had God's exact DNA in it, in him, and God's breath was inside of his body. So it was the actual inner substance of the core of God that animated Adam's physical being. Somebody say amen. But here's the problem. All right. And this is what happened. Luke four tells us this verse five. Then the devil taking him, Jesus Christ, up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you. So this is Lucifer trying to negotiate Jesus out of his place of rulership and sovereignty by entreating him to worship him. And he says, I have all of this authority. I will give it to you and all of their glory because this has been delivered to me and I can give it to whomever I wish. All right? Are y'all listening? Now, it was not intended that Lucifer would be the God of the age. He says it was delivered to him. Who delivered it to him? Adam did. Somebody say Adam. Right? It was never assigned by God. It was not given to him by God. It was delivered to him by Adam, which says to us that you can give whatever has been placed in your charge to the devil too. So you have to take an assessment in the season of this hard reset, and you have to ask yourself, what in me is conducive to the agenda of Satan? Because the only way that he can function in and through you is when you have an environment that is conducive to what it is that he is trying to bring into manifestation. He's not just going to walk up on you and take over you and control you to get his agenda. The Bible says that he walks about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what is he searching? He's looking for something in you that he can legally access that will give him the permission to be the conduit from the supernatural into this world to legally manifest everything that he wants to do. And so when we're dealing with entering into another dimension and we're dealing with things that God is not permitting to go, you have to make sure that you relinquish every area of your life that Satan could sift. You have to relinquish it to the Lord Jesus Christ for healing and cleansing and deliverance. And you've got to get out of Dodge. Everything in you that belongs to him, you've got to get it out of the way because in this season he's coming for his stuff. Because the devil knows that you are closer now to the fulfillment of a thing than when you first believed. And his agenda is to disrupt the plan and the purpose of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Apostles are given stewardship over the mysteries of God. That means that there are unknown things that have to be disclosed by someone who has been given the charge and the commission to disclose it. Am I still in the Bible? Some people in this generation will scrutinize truth, but they do it from an unproven resource of limited knowledge, experience, anointing, and grace. How can you judge my message when you don't have enough of the truth in you? How can you, now watch this, and this is not the same as people, because I've always, you know, this is not a pastor or apostle-centric ministry. Somebody say amen. I don't tell y'all to call me for everything. I don't tell you to call me to pray whenever you're going through something. I tell you to call out to God for yourself, don't I? I tell you to search the scriptures for yourself, don't I? When you come to me, I need to know what God wants me to do. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to tell you you need to hear for yourself, don't I? Somebody say amen. But that doesn't negate the fact that my office makes me a steward over mysteries. It doesn't negate the fact, Brother Ty, that the Lord has sent me here as a sent preacher with a word that is meant and commissioned by God to inspire faith and belief in you so that you know what to believe God for. 
And so if you listen to the message from the standpoint of a student that is seeking God for truth and you take the notes and you take the scripture and you go and lay before God, God will give you open eyes of understanding so that you can understand what it is that he's revealing. Somebody say amen. But if you deal with it with a spirit of suspicion and think that I'm teaching erroneously and have problems with what I'm teaching, then there's a spirit of deception that's going to reinforce that environment and that atmosphere that's already in you. And then next thing you know, you're going to get some bootleg prophet to come and prophesy everything that's already in your heart that Satan slyly put in there. That's why I say you got to ask the question, what in me is conducive to the devil's agenda? We're talking about taking territory. We're talking about expansion. We're talking about planting churches and taking over systems. Do you think that the principalities of darkness are just going to sit there and allow us to move without any kind of retaliation? So how could we get to the place of birthing that we all danced about and prayed about and shouted about and praised over and then become oblivious to the agenda of the enemy once we get here? Say, what in me is conducive to the agenda? Satan is counting on the parts of you that God can't use. He's counting on the parts of you that God can't use. Search the scriptures. He's never used anybody that had a problem with being timid. And if they were timid, he told them to be bold and courageous. He's never used anybody that had issues with authority. Oh, God, it's getting quiet. Let me just keep going. I'm trying to qualify the elect so that you're not disqualified. He's never used people that had an issue with his agenda. What happened when Moses went up to the mountain and got caught up in a visitation and the people decided, you know what, Aaron, because they, their attempt was to do it legally. Let's get the priest to do what we need him to do. We're going to give you all this jewelry and we want you to create a God for us. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Let's start a new movement because we don't like the position of the one who's leading us. So we're going to start a new church with you. We're going to start a new worship system with you. Because we don't know what happened to Moses. He's been on the mountain for a long time. What did God do? He opened up the ground and swallowed them. <laughs> God has never been successful with people that can't follow the program. What in me is conducive to Satan's agenda? The first Adam, and I'm winding down because this is going to be a series. Somebody say a series. All of the offspring of the first Adam were doomed to death because of how they entered into the world. Adam transacted a deal with the devil, which was more than just eating an apple, and he gave Satan legal access to all of his seed. Romans 5 and 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin, 
For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Somebody say, first Adam. So because of Adam's deal with the devil, he didn't just get them to disobey. Okay? And I believe that the Bible recorded that so that we could understand the implications of how our appetites and our desires can shift us into an alternate reality. Right? And, and, I, and I'm saying this like this as I'm trying to struggle through my voice because I had to scream a little bit today. Uh, somebody say amen. Um, I'm presenting it like this so that you are not oblivious of the reality that Satan's traps are still the same. He's going to come to you in a season of breakthrough and assignment with an alternate reality. He's going to come to you. Now, you done been in the garden for a million years, right? Because eternity was still intersecting with the earth at that moment. God was walking on the earth and the earth was not imploding. So we know that there was an overlapping of eternity into the natural realm in that God could walk on the earth and they could hear the sound of him walk. Somebody say Amen. They're walking in this realm probably for millions of years, and they understand God's dictates, his directive. They understand the strategy. They understand their assignment. The Bible never tells us that they, at once they ever walked out of the, the Garden of Eden, so they understood the boundaries and the parameters of everything that he had entrusted to them. And then here comes the devil with the question. Did God really say that? So how are you going to handle the question? Because he's coming with the same question for you. How are you going to handle the temptation that is not just about whether or not you are a vegan or a carnivore? Because it wasn't about eating fruit. The conversation had to be about Adam giving up the jurisdiction and the right that he had as the magistrate of the planet, but as the progenitor of the human lineage. Satan had to tell Adam on some level, I'm going to make you a god too if you give me your status. Because for him to come to the second Adam with the temptation that said everything is mine, just fall down and worship me, I'll give it to you. He had to present the first Adam with the same thing. The problem is the first Adam bought into the idea. Which takes us all the way back to Ezekiel 28 where the devil said my plan is to exalt my throne above the stars of God. Adam believed in Satan's agenda. So his mode of operation, and I'm sounding an alarm as I have for 10 years because people always get duped into the devil's strategy. He's going to come with a suggestion. Did God really say? Does it really take all of that? Maybe your season is up. Maybe you should back up out of your position. Maybe God didn't really call you to that. You mean in the season of the hard reset? You mean in the season of expansion? You mean in the season where we are stepping into new territory? The devil is going to come and put that in your ear and you can't tell that that's him? Because he comes with a believable question. It's believable. And it sounds a lot like you. 
See, you cannot underestimate the devil. The Bible says that we can't be ignorant of his devices. Watch this. Some of y'all are caught up in plans that you think just started a month ago, and he's been working on you for five years. He has been interjecting his strategy for years to get you to the point where you are now. And you're thinking that it's God because it just showed up to you. And the intention is to derail you from your purpose. He can't do nothing about your salvation. He can't do nothing about you going to church. He can do everything about derailing you if you let him. All right, let me keep going. Let me go, let me go, let me go. Genesis 4. Adam knows his wife Eve and conceives a son Cain. Somebody say firstborn. Conceives again and has Abel. Verse 3 uh, of Genesis 4. Cain brings an offering to the Lord, which meant at some point Adam taught his sons how to worship the almighty God. And his preeminence in their existence showed them how to prioritize their service to him. Somebody say amen. We understand the story. The offering of the fruit of the ground caused God not to respect Cain or the offering that he did. He preferred Abel and his offering. Cain's innate response was anger. Who taught him anger? Who taught him anger? The deity that sired his worship taught him anger. See, Cain was a tiller of the ground, and he did the same thing Abel did. Out of the work of his hand, he presented God an offering. Why wasn't he respected, and why wasn't his offering received? Because Adam, when he bought into Satan's agenda, he changed God's. So Adam's decision to bow down and worship Lucifer gave Lucifer the right to the seed that his wife was about to get pregnant with. So Cain's real nature was not born of Yahweh or the, the Most High God. That's why innately when he got upset, the first thing he did was resort to murder. Nobody in existence even knew what murder was, but he did. Nobody in existence knew what it was to be angry, but he did. Because when you get in the bed with the devil, you give him access to everything that you are conceiving, incubating, and birthing. So there are people doing ministry in the name of the Lord with the devil backing up the ministry. Because they got in the bed with the devil to get the ministry. Your pastor sitting on your gift. Your pastor holding you back. Your pastor intimidated. For what? For who? And you buy into the concept and you go birth a bastard renegade ministry that is twice the spawn of hell. Why? Because you fell down to worship the devil. Because he said, I'm going to give you a greater ministry than serving on the usher board. Qualifying the elect. Give me a second. God says this to Cain. And it's interesting that God's discourse with him immediately becomes predictive in nature. So when Cain is there with his faulty worship, God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Which more than implied, Cain was not doing well. Okay? He said, if you do not do well, Sin is lying at the door. So here's the Almighty telling Cain what's going on behind the scenes. He says, watch this, sin's desire is for you, 
Did y'all hear that? God told Cain, sin's desire is for you. That means that sin has its own consciousness. Because if sin can desire us, that means sin has its own mind. It has its own mode of operation. Sin is not just what you do. Sin does you. Sin is a principle. Y'all not going to help me. Let, me. let me move. He said, sin's desire is for you and it lies at the door, but you have to rule it or you have to master it. Sin is at the door waiting. He didn't say, I'm going to deliver you from sin. He didn't say, I'm going to take away the temptation for sin. He said, you have to master sin. Well, what was sin in this context? It was alternate worship. It was serving another deity. It was following his innate nature and desires. That's why we got to deal. Give me another week. Stuff that just pops up in you doesn't mean that God put it there. And it can be authentically you. But you can authentically go to hell too. Just because it's innate to your nature doesn't give you permission as a new creation believer to manifest it. Because you were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Nobody ever taught any of us how to lie, but we know how to lie to save ourselves. There are things that are innate to our nature that once you get knowledge of it, you have to lay it down at the foot of the cross. You don't get to walk with it and identify with it like it's really you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new. Okay, so then we old things have. So why are you still going back into the old stuff to identify with what should be dead? How can we who died to sin live any longer? Am I still in the book? See, some of y'all are trying to be saved with your old nature. You want the benefits of salvation with the convenience of living the way that you want to live. And I'm here to present to you, beloved, there is nothing in this scripture that makes us think, and I know that God is gracious, merciful, and forgiving, and we need that love, and we need that forgiveness, and we ask for it. If any man falls, we have an advocate that's at the right hand of the Father. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know all the favorite repenting scriptures because I have quoted them a million times after doing stuff I had no business doing. But the Bible doesn't give us any indication that if you live in sin, you're making it to heaven. There's no indication that you can willfully live according to your old nature and make it in. Study the Gospels. Jesus said if your hand calls, causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter into heaven maimed than to go to hell whole. Jesus said that. The one that everybody's begging for grace and mercy who thinks he's just winking at all the stuff that you're doing wrong. All right, let me keep going. Got to stop. Cain's not doing well. God is exposing it. He gives Cain a chance to repent and realign. Sometimes God's word to you is an intervention. Sometimes a message like this that might be uncomfortable is really God's intervention. It's really God saying sin 
that's lying at the door that you haven't mastered is about to take you out. It's about to make you circumvent your destiny. And he gives us an opportunity to repent and realign so that none of us can stand before his throne and say, but God, am I teaching all right? Is it? Oh, Jesus. He gives him the opportunity to repent and realign. Instead, he was overtaken by the nature of sin that was inherent in him. God never before this moment had a discussion with humanity in advance talking about sin. It never happened before in creation. So God is here warning it. He had to because Satan's position changed because he now became the God of the age, the God of the, the world. And Adam's transgression and the sin principle, along with the Luciferian philosophy of self-aggrandizement, now released the spirit of death and allowed it to run rampant in the planet. So for the first time in all of creation, God had to find a way to safeguard his creation from what had been activated in creation. It was not God's desire for us to die, but because of Adam's transgression, death was now legally allowed to walk in the planet. God said, I can't stop death, but I can stop you from being in conjunction with it. Beloved, there are times that the Holy Spirit is talking to you and you're trying to preserve your ego and your sense of self and the Holy Spirit is trying to keep you alive. There are times that God is trying to safeguard what he has entrusted to you because he understands that around the corner, the agenda of the enemy is to utterly destroy it. And sometimes our ego gets in the way to the point that we protect ourselves from God's protection. He's taken for granted that we're humble enough to know that he's sovereign and that he's God. He's taken for granted that we know him enough to know that he's working all things together according to our good and that if we just trust him and follow him. What are we doing? We're qualifying the elect. Let me just get to that part and I'll stop. I'll just skip through this. Isaiah 65. God has an elect people who are on the earth who are filled with his spirit, who are under his governance, who are a part of his nation, and who have been supercharged with the responsibility of fulfilling his will and purposes in the earth. Somebody say the elect. Somebody say the elect. Somebody say the elect. The elect have the DNA of God. The elect are of the kind of God. They're of his kind. Somebody say I'm in his species. I'm in his genus. The elect are born again of the seed of God, right? Not just your father's seed. Isaiah 65 says this, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people. And my elect, somebody say my elect, 
shall long enjoy the work of their hands. And they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble, for they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord. Somebody say amen. And their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, he's talking about the elect. Somebody say the elect. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. Elect in the Hebrew is the word bakir, which means chosen, choice one, decided for, or selected. The word elect in the Greek is eklektos, which means the picked out, the best of its kind or class. It means excellence, preeminence, or it is applied to only certain individual Christians. Y'all still with me? I can't see that. So when we're dealing with, the screen is black, that's what I mean. When we are dealing with the elect of God, we are dealing with God's people of choice who have been singled out from the masses. Some people call them the remnant. And they are signified as those who are chosen of God, who are taken out of the realm of just being called of God. And they are positioned as those whose treatment of God and his purposes are above reproach. How do you know when you are a part of the elect? God is always preeminent in your life. See, the thing with the elect is God knows that they are never going to fail him. His pre-incarnate knowledge of them knows. Now watch this because you got to be careful in this understanding. And we'll delve into this. I'm really about to stop. We'll delve into this a little bit deeper. But when we deal with the elect, God already predestined the elect. He already justified the elect. He already called and chose the elect. How did he know who was going to do it? His omniscience knew it, although he doesn't make the choice. Hear that? So he knows out of every human born into existence who's going to accept him or reject him. And he deals with you accordingly based on that foreknowledge. There are some people that you look at in the face that God knows they're going to bust hell wide open. He already knows. His foreknowledge of them lets him know that they are predisposed to never coming to a true saving knowledge and experience with God. And so he deals with them in accordance to what he already knows about them. That's why Jesus can say nobody can come to the Father unless he draws them. Because his foreknowledge, when he knows that you are going to accept him, Make sure that things are situated in your life to pull you in to that saving experience and knowledge. He doesn't make the choice, but he knows what choice you will make. Just like he knows them, he knows the elect. We say favor isn't fair. Well, it may not be fair, but I might be favored because I'm elected. Well, how come it look like everything's working for you? Because God knows that my yes is not going to be taken back and I'm not going to fail him when it, when it really counts. Well, it seems like every time you pray, God answers because God has a covenant with me because he crafted and shaped me in him before the foundation of the world for the praise of his glory. Let me say this and I'm done. 
Here's the elect. Here's the scripture. Uh, John 1. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him. Okay? So I want you to watch the parallel. Jesus shows up on the scene. His own rejects him. Some of them accept him. To those who accept him or receive him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Right? Now watch this. To those who believe in his name. But now retroactively, he says, but they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. They were born again of God before they really made the decision to receive him. But they were born of God because he knew when the opportunity presented itself that they would say yes. So their birth, y'all going to have to work with me for a second. Their birth into God or of God predates their incarnation as being born according to the flesh. Did I lose y'all? God, I'm done, has people in the earth who really belong to him. Guess what? This is what that sounds like. I don't have no choice. Anybody ever felt like that? I mean, I'm, from the time you were three, four, five years old, you knew God called me for something. I just, I, I, there's, there's a call on my life. There's something I got to answer. God's going to use me. I, I just know. And, and, and you, find, you, you literally go about the business of making everything in your life conducive to a sense. I, I was going to Catholic school. I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. I didn't know nothing about the Holy Ghost. I didn't know nothing about prophecy. I didn't know anything about call to ministry, but I knew that I was here for a purpose. I remember being two years old. And the angel coming and taking me out of my bedroom and putting me on his shoulder and walking around the city, downtown New Haven. And when we got to the Knights of Columbus building, the angel was taller than the building because sitting on his shoulder, I was looking down at the Knights of Columbus building. I knew I'm seven Adventists. They don't believe in nothing. Raji was there with me. They don't believe in nothing. But eating special K loaf instead of meatloaf. And they got a lot to say about first day churches. That's what y'all are to them, first day churches, because they're seventh day. They say they make so much noise in them churches that when the Lord come, they ain't even going to hear them. They used to say stuff like that all the time in church. All that clapping and singing, they're not even going to hear the Lord when he come back. Those first day churches. What happened? God has a people. Play something, uh, y'all. Dewberry. He has a group of people that are the elect. That before they ever really can make the decision in and of themselves, he has foreordained the boundaries and the parameters of their existence on the earth. His providence says, I've got to have a people who are appraised in the earth. His providence says, I can't entrust 
the culture and the societies of humanity to produce what I need in the earth. So I got to send them in myself. So he says to Jeremiah the prophet, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, before I ever connected you to an earthly lineage, Jeremiah, I knew that in your generation I would need a prophet. And so I created you in me before the foundation of the world. And I assigned you to a time and a season and a place. And then pulled you out of myself and sent you into the earth. See, it's a bigger deal to be a sent one than you might think. God's eternity is riding on the people that he sends into the planet. We've talked about the continuum. There are things that has to happen because of his eternal design. I want to present to you, and we'll, del we'll, we'll delve into it. But the elect are the people that he's entrusted these treasures and these mysteries to. who won't fail them. It's not that you can't fail them. They won't fail them. They won't fail them. They won't fail him. Stand to your feet. Born not of the will of flesh. So when, when I begin to see this prophet Tyra, I could, I could deal with my humanity in another measure. See, the truth is, some of us don't like where we're from. I don't like where I'm from. I, I don't. I don't like it. If it were up to me, my parents would have been Yale University professors, you know, world travelers. They would have taken me to Europe when I was 10 years old and put me in some kind of school to teach me how to eat with the queen and... They would have put me in private schools. Well, I went to Catholic school until I got kicked out. But I don't like where I'm from. I was raised by a whole bunch of broken people with dysfunctions that we still don't even talk about openly. Family secrets that people have sworn to take to their grave that somehow done leaked out, and I know. family has aggravated me at times because I just don't understand how they are the way that they are and why they are the way that they are. I stepped back from my family about a week ago because they just annoyed me. So I made a decision. I said, I don't want to have anything to do with them again. If I never see any of them again, I will be fine. So my focus is on my mother, my wife, my children, and I'll be fine. We are the furloughs. I still believe that. Because when people in the nations hear furlough, they think about us. They don't think about any of the people in my family chat. We are the furlough dynasty, right? And I said, God, I'm, I'm sick of it. And I backed away. 24 hours later, one of my cousins, one of my favorite cousins, was in a very bad car accident with two of her children. 
one of them having to have steel rods put in her legs. I said, okay, Lord, never mind. I undetach. Then an uncle of mine gets sent to the hospital. Was in ICU, had some breathing difficulties, problems. He later got released, but has ongoing things that now they have to look at that are probably detrimental. He gets out one day, the next day, the other uncle goes in. One of my cousin's daughters has to go to the hospital because she thought that she was COVID-19 positive because she had all the symptoms of it. What's the point? When I understood that my election in God had nothing to do with the lineage that I came from and that the totality of my existence existed in him before he ever put me in a bloodline, I could stop running from the history of what my bloodline represents. I could stop having animosity and resentment towards them because even being placed in the lineage that I'm placed in is just a means to an end. I'm an eternal spirit. And the earth part of me is temporal. The spirit part of me is eternal. God's purposes are eternal. Some of us, the biggest hangup that we have and recognizing who we really are in God is where we're from. It's what has happened to us. Get over it. Divorce it. And realize that God's providential creation of you supersedes where you're from. He made you in him. In the depth of his being, he created you. And he picked you up and looked at you and talked to you about what he called you to do. About what he assigned you to do. Then he put you in the earth. And the Say, Lord, free me from the traumas of my family's past. Free me from the dysfunction. Free me from Oh, Lord. Uh, just lift your hands up. Father, just touch us. Just touch us. Some of us have been victims of the worst things that could be perpetrated against an individual by the hands of family. And some of us have had to live with the guilt and the shame of those things those molestations those abuses they may have said we were playing a game you weren't playing a game family family we don't play games like that and they took you into a realm that infringed upon your innocence that brought a perversion to your mind concerning sexuality or who you are as an individual. Some of them ripped you or robbed you of your sense of self-worth. 
Some of us, it was physical abuse. You got beat for everything. I got beaten a lot. I got a lot of beatings. Some of you, it was words that you're never going to be anything. You're never going to amount to anything. And when you get to the point of breakthrough, it's those systems that sabotage you and keep you from crossing over. The Lord's going to break that today. He's going to break it. He's going to break it. Come on, just open your mouth. I got to stop. Thank our online viewers. We thank you for being with us. If you want to make the decision to accept the Lord, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you as a sinner. I recognize that you are the ultimate sacrifice for my redemption. And that through your blood, I can be forgiven. I can be cleansed. I can be restored to a perfect relationship with the Most High God. I accept you, Lord Jesus, into my heart and into my life as Lord, as Savior, as God, and as King. It's done. If you pray that from a sincere heart, you're saved. You pass from death to life. Hit us up. rcfurloughglobal.com. Put something in the comments. We'll reach out to you. Jesus' name, thank you for fellowshipping with us. Amen. For the rest of you, the Holy Spirit is going to bring healing and deliverance to you. If you fall in any of those categories, just come to the altar. Be separate as much as possible. Uh, you all can help with that. But if you need prayer, I want you to just come here. We're not going to minister to you physically, but I want you to come up to the front. And I want you to be bold, and I want you to be courageous because I know it's in here. 